Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. The Premed Year, session number 232. Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. It's great to have you here. Today, I have another podcaster on with me, a medical student turned podcaster who is doing great things over at the Undifferentiated Medical Student. And his podcast, Ian's podcast, is very, very similar to my Specialty Stories podcast. Different format, longer interviews, but doing something very similar. And the reason he started it is because he was undecided about what he wanted to do on his path and where he wanted to match for a specialty. And so that's what we're gonna dive into today. Ian, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. What's up, Dr. Gray? It's nice to have another podcaster on the line with me. <laughs> yep, it's, uh, it's nice when uh, everyone knows the audio situation. Um, I've experienced the same thing. <laughs> so I, I wanna dive into your podcast eventually, but mm. I'm interested, the, the, the normal question that I used to open up is, when did you realize you want to be a doctor? But I want to open up with your current struggle. When did you realize that you didn't know what kind of doctor you wanted to be? Um, yeah. So I guess I would have to say sometime in the middle of third year. By the way, for anyone listening, I am a third year, actually I'm a rising fourth year medical student who's taking some time off to figure out what he wants to do with his life. And my chosen mechanism for doing so is making a podcast about exploring a medical specialty and choosing a career in medicine. But um, before I started making the podcast, I think it was halfway through my third year, which is nominally, I think, for most medical students, the year where you're given an opportunity to explore all the specialties and make your choice. But that's kind of when I discovered what I call and have been calling the fallacy of third year in that you don't really even get an entire third year or rather, one year is not that much time to explore all the medical specialties out there. 
Um, if you've ever seen the Careers in Medicine website, you know, it lists 120 specialties and subspecialties, and that's not even an exhaustive list. And so I definitely didn't see 120 specialties or subspecialties during my third year. And then the other component was that, you know, we don't even get to finish our third year before we have to make big decisions about our career, um, planning, acting internships, you know, doing research, establishing relationships with uh, big names in your field to help with your application or anything like that. Um, and so I got to the middle of my third year and I said, wow, I am not even close to making this decision. And the idea of planning an AI, which, you know, it's a big investment, four weeks, you have to be on your game. You, you know, you got to be a good little medical student to, to get those letters to do what you need to do to, to look good in the eyes of residencies. And I just was not ready to commit to that. Um, Define AI. So AI is an acting internship. It's when fourth years pretend to be an intern. They act as though they were an intern, right. an intern being a PGY1. Yeah. So in, in my school, we called them sub-eyes, uh, right, sub-internship. Sub uh, yeah, so I, I always relearn the lesson that I should always say the, the full word, acting internship or a sub-internship. I believe those are exactly the same thing. Yeah, they should be. Okay, so, all right, so let's rewind okay. to, to little Ian that <laughs> is pre-med school and says, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. What led you to that decision? Yeah, so... It wasn't an, uh, a singular aha moment. I did not know from from day one that I wanted to do it. Um, I guess I'll, I'll start the story in college. Um, I was a student athlete. Uh, I played hockey for four years, but I was heavier on the athlete than I was on the student. Um, and, you know, my, my mind wasn't really always on my studies. And, and I would argue for healthy reasons. I was lucky enough to be a part of two national championships or play in two national champions. And I actually won one of them. This is uh, D3 hockey. Um, and that was a phenomenal experience. Um, you know, the personal growth that comes along with that, being a part of a team that um, a special mix of skills and team culture and <laughs> a coach that's uh, unafraid and unhesitating to rip into you. Um, phenomenal growth. Kind of like an attending. Well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> uh, probably not as bad. Um, so that's where my mind was. And, um, while I was actually a neuroscience major and I was pre-med, we didn't actually have a pre-med track. Um, you know, I, I definitely wasn't committed to going to medical school at that point. And actually by the end of my four years at uh, was Middlebury college, um, I was not ready to stop playing hockey. I felt like I was just getting good at the sport and I wanted to keep playing. So what I actually did was play two years of semi-pro hockey in Sweden um, which is awesome. And I recommend that to anyone, um, <laughs> for a couple of reasons for me personally. Um, one was again, another period of sort of growth this time in the realm of hockey. I mean, I was a student athlete. Um, and I told, I just told you that in college, it was more on the athlete side of things. So, uh, but I still had my studies and, you know, the studies and the, the athletics kind of detracted from the other. And I wasn't able to fully dedicate myself to one thing. And so being able to go play hockey as a semi-pro in Sweden and dedicate myself completely to my sport was an amazing experience. I mean, I experienced so much growth in the game that, you know, would have happened so much more slowly in college just because you you're juggling so many other things. Um, it was eat, sleep, play hockey, literally, and I loved it. Um, other thing about playing hockey in Sweden is that you have access to the rest of Europe and you know, I had a team that was paying for my housing, my food, my equipment, and the salary I was getting, which wasn't a lot, was great travel money. So I got to 
bounce around to a bunch of countries in Europe. Um, phenomenal. And then a lot of the other money was also spent on beer. Um, and you definitely need a beer budget because beer is expensive <laughs> in Europe. Um, so I, I did that. But towards the end of my second year uh, playing in Sweden, I definitely felt like I was maxing out as a hockey player. I, you know, I, I got as good as I was ever going to get. And I remember sort of, it wasn't instantaneous, but sort of a miraculous um, letting go of hockey. I was like, wow, I, this, I'm, I'm ready to let go of the game. But that was awesome because it was on my own terms. But it was at this moment, sort of halfway through my second year of playing hockey in Sweden, that I started to say, you know what, I want, I want more from life. I, I want to think about my future. Um, the thing about playing <laughs> semi-pro hockey is that there are a lot of guys that are like 30, sometimes even 40, and they're washed up. Um, you know, sometimes even fat, <laughs> you don't even need to be fit anymore, really good hockey players, but you know, not really going anywhere with their lives, at least not a direction that I would have found satisfying. Mm -hmm. And it was really at that moment that I started talking to myself, frankly, about what I wanted out of life and, and sort of, uh, the things that came to mind were, you know, I want, I want lifelong learning. I want, uh, lifelong growth. I want more responsibility. I, I want to make contribution. Um, and when you know you're playing video games eight hours a day with your hockey buddies, waiting for practice to start, those things don't happen. Yeah, <laughs> they're fun. So, they're fun for a while. All right. So what's interesting there? Lifelong learning, contribution. That doesn't describe being a physician. Being a physician describes those, but there are many things that that you can do for that. But you said you were a neuroscience pre-med in college. So what what led to that first decision of being pre-med in college? Or was it just some kind of in the clouds thinking of, oh, being a doctor sounds like it'd be cool? Yeah, it wasn't even, I, I honestly, so another part of the story is that my father's a physician. Aha. Uh -huh. uh -huh, there it is. <laughs> I had that example, but it really at no point did, he ever pressured and my mother was a nurse and and at no point did they they ever suggest that I should you know choose medicine um but you know it was on the table um and you know part of the story was how satisfying I saw my father saw his career I mean he was a sometimes a, a short-tempered physician he was an anesthesiologist but he never complained about his job and I saw how satisfied he was with it you know I intuited that even if I couldn't explain it as a you know a little eight-year-old Ian um, but in college, when I was doing neuroscience, honestly, it was, again, late in my college career, I accidentally became a neuroscience major. You know, I realized I was a junior and I hadn't picked a major and I looked at what credits I had and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm two credits away from being a neuroscience major. Um, and finishing some of the pre-med requirements, and I didn't finish all of them, Orco being one of them, and I also bombed bio, uh, but doing these things was more like I was keeping the option open rather than pers actively pursuing a career in medicine. Okay. All right. Uh, did I answer your question? I, th I think so. And, and I'll dig in more. So you, you have this change of heart or, or whatever you want to call it as you're playing hockey and trying to figure out what you want for the rest of your life, lifelong mm -hmm. learning and contribution Again, I, I kind of already said that that can describe many different careers, and 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 I always push back on students that I'm working with, be like, "That's that's not a good reason to be a physician." So, 
from from <laughs> that point, this. yeah. So from that point, where where did you go? Uh, obviously, with your father being a physician, your mom being a nurse, you knew healthcare. So how did you determine for yourself if being a physician was right for you? Yeah, so you definitely can get lifelong learning in a lot of places. You can get growth in a lot of places and a lot of careers, responsibility, contribution. One other thing I didn't mention is that in stark contrast to being a semi-pro athlete, financial security is something that's offered by being a physician. So um, I'd be lying if I told you that wasn't also part of my thought process. Um, but in terms of learning, it's like, well, what are you interested in learning? And I, I found the medical sciences fascinating. Um, in terms of contribution, though, yeah, you can make contributions in a, in a, in a lot of ways um, to society and to people. But I think that the contribution in medicine, it's, it's a very personal type. You, you get to directly see the contribution that you're making in many cases um, in that, that, that when you help somebody with their health, you can see the result of that. And alongside of this, and a very important conversation is about a, the very meaningful person-to-person -person interactions. Um, and, and one of the highly motivating reasons that I had for medicine were these relationships that I don't think many other careers offer that mix of, you know, the medical sciences um, plus this personal interaction uh, to do with your health. I mean, in medicine, we're not just talking about like a, hey, how are you doing? Get to know you. It's a, no, take your clothes off and tell me your secrets and tell me them fast because it, it might save your life. <laughs> tell, um, tell me them fast because I only have 13 minutes before my next patient. Right. And the EMR is eating up 12 of those. So let's go. Um, so, yeah, I think it was, it's the contribution was on a personal level. It's a human interaction thing. And you know, I don't know why relationships are so satisfying, but but they are. Yeah. So I, I, it's funny. I'm going to push back on you like I do with students that I work with. Like, okay, well, you could have the, that personal contribution and science-related stuff doing, doing being a registered dietitian. You get lifelong learning in, in food science. and Yeah, I think this is where the responsibility and the influence comes in. Yeah. Um, I, I, you definitely get those things as a dietitian, but I think you know, physicians um, have an opportunity to really influence their environment as a physician. They get to make decisions. Um, that excites me. Okay, interesting. All right, so for you listening right now, this is the kind of thinking that you have to go through, this thought process as you as you figure out how to tell your story and why you want to be a physician, this is the kind of thought process that, that and, I have with students. So that's yeah, good. And, and Dr. Gray, the funny thing is, is that I had a very hard time putting these feelings into words and I can do it better now and I'm still not satisfied with it. And, and it's a wonder <laughs> that I got into medical school in the first place that I convinced anybody that, you know, to take me seriously because you know, I had the problem that you like to harp on. My answer was, I like science and I want to help people. Yep. These are very valid reasons. I mean, I don't think that that's what you're harping on. It's just, it's a little bit trite um, as to be meaningless. Yeah. yeah. And, and when you're trying to make it sound novel and truly articulate your motivations, why are you doing this? Why, are you, why do you have the energy to suffer through studying for the MCAT, to go through your application process, to immediately start studying your preclinical studies year one of medical school, you know, to basically start full-time studying for step one and then do a third year, um, which is, you know, you don't get to make your own schedule. You're working 12, 16 hours a day. Where is the motivation coming from? Yep. And that is a very tough answer. Uh, question to answer even even now that i'm on the other side a little bit 
So I, I would disagree that it's not a tough answer, but you have to realize what the answer is first. And the answer should always be, and, and I would hope it always is, and you said it kind of in a roundabout way, but I, I don't think you're picking up on it yourself. The, that contribution factor, the, the contribution is to the, the patient, right? To patient care. That's what drives you day in and day out. Every time you're interacting with another patient and making that impact, that's what keeps you going through to, to suffer through your internship year, through your clinical rotations in medical school. So you, you talked about it, but you weren't picking up on the fact that that's really what it is that's motivating you. It's possible. I mean, that's, that's why you're the expert. Doctor. <laughs> I, I think that the relationship bit though, I mean, and it's not just a one way street in, mm -hmm. in connecting on a non-superficial level with your patients, you know, helping patients and them opening up to you. I mean, that's a two way street that becomes a relationship. And again, I don't know why relationships are so awesome when, when they're open and real like that. But, you know, part of contributing to the patients is that you get something back in the form of a relationship. Yeah. I've always talked about students will ask me about healthcare and the, the healthcare reform that we're going through now and insurance and this and that. I said, it's, it's good to know what's going on in the world, but that shouldn't affect your decision to apply to medical school. Because again, if you're doing this for that patient care aspect, those relationships, that will never change in healthcare. Once you close the door and it's, it's patient and physician or patient and medical student, that relationship, that dynamic will never change. There may be a, a robot next to you that helps you form your differential diagnosis, but and there's still going to be a human that's going to help you, uh, that, yeah. that's going to um, need to be there to form that relationship with the patient. Definitely. All right. So I, I, I feel like this is like a, a Dr. Phil kind of scenario where I'm trying to diagnose you and, and figure out where to go now. So Please you, <laughs> let me know what your answer is. <laughs> so you, you are exploring this, and I don't think I, I I asked earlier. What did you do next? You you have this thought of okay, I I want to. Th this is the type of life I want to lead. These are the things that I'm interested in. How did you make that leap from? figuring out those traits and that lifestyle to, okay, I'm ready to be a physician. I know that being a physician is right for me. What did I do next? Yeah. So towards the end of my second year in Sweden playing ice hockey, and when I was starting to realize that medicine might be it, um, I actually did some shadowing with my team physician, an orthopedic surgeon, uh, which is pretty cool. You know, he was taping up my hand or whatever. And I was like, hey, you mind if I follow you back to the hospital? Um, so I got to hang out with him. And then actually towards the end of the season as well, I started studying for the MCAT. And um, so this was March of 2011. And I, I think I took the MCAT a couple months later. And I actually didn't do very well. And I was I actually had already filled out my AMCAS application and I, I was at a crossroads. I was thinking to myself, well, do I just, you know, take my MCAT score as it is? It was a 29. 
um, which was the old MCAT, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, I had to look all these numbers up, but it was somewhere around the 75th percentile, which, which shows that you know something about yeah. the exam. You don't, you don't just take the it's MCAT. A, it's and a get decent a score. Um, and I think that correlates to 508 now on the new exam, something like that. Um, 500, a little lower, probably okay. 506-ish, maybe. There you go. Um, you know, do you, it shows that you know something, but you definitely don't walk away from the exam feeling like you conquered the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and coupled with a s- semi-decent undergraduate GPA of uh, 3.07, I... You know, I was like, okay, do I go through with this application or do I double down with a post-bac program and try for something better? And that was uncomfortable and it was a little painful because sort of my expectation and, and my father kind of encouraged this. Oh, yeah, just just take the MCAT and, and apply to medical school and see what happens. <laughs> a little dad, different from his days. Yes, exactly. And I trust my father on a lot of things and for good reason. He's, he's proven himself to be a phenomenal father and mentor. And so I was like, all right, I'll do that. Um, But again, as you identified, I think that the climate of applying to medical school today is much different. And so after sort of that painful realization that I might have to double down, um, which I'm totally glad that I did, I enrolled in a sort of independent post-bac program through the Harvard Extension School in Mm -hmm. in Boston, which I know you know well. Uh, which is great. Open enrollment, just pay, pay, you know, your tuition for your classes. You get into the classes automatically. It's not um, sort of a dedicated program. I also still had access to Middlebury College's advising office. So I didn't need the advising that comes along with a post-bac program. And I just started knocking off classes that I needed. I retook intro bio. I had actually already taken organic chemistry in the summer between my two seasons and then slowly started boosting the GPA and then really doubled down on the MCAT. And I started basically square one. Um, Point being, I I got a good study book. It was exam crackers. I don't know if they make a book for the new MCAT, but I loved, I bleeping loved exam crackers. They were so good. And for anyone out there who wants um, a study buddy, Khan Academy, if you have not checked out Khan Academy, for the love of God, go check out Khan Academy. <laughs> Saul Khan is an amazing human being. He's such an intuitive teacher. And so I started with basically, you know, physics lesson one, bio lesson one, chemistry lesson one, organic chemistry lesson one. So when I say double down, I think I really went back to the beginning, started with first principles, worked forward with exam crackers, and I took the AMCAT again. And I got a 36, which is around the 95th percentile, yeah. which helped a lot. I also did, um, you know, well in my classes. That helped with the GPA. I think by the time I applied, my GPA was a a 3.4 accumulative. Um, You know, I didn't go to Harvard College. I went to the Harvard University Extension School, but Mm -hmm. I think Harvard is still a reputable institution, so my classes looked good. Um, Organic chemistry was still from a community college. I know that there's, you know, people say that don't don't take any classes at a community college. I took it at a community community college. Worked out just fine for me. Uh, Thought it was a great class. Um, and I am so happy that I took that extra time. I mean, so when I first took the MCAT, it was sometime maybe June of 2011. I'm matriculated to Case Western Reserve University School of Medicine in the fall and July of 2013. So 
I guess I had to dedicate another year and a half to get where I wanted to go, but worth every second of it, um, especially considering that when I applied, officially applied, so again, I, I filled out my application, my AMCAS application completely the first time and almost hit submit with my 29 and my mm. 3.07. I mean, if I had you know sneezed and accidentally clicked submit, my world <laughs> would have been so different, uh, but I didn't. So, and the result was I got in exactly where I wanted to go, Case Western. But the other side of the story is I only got four interviews and I only got accepted one place, Case, and I got accepted off the wait list. Mm-hmm. So, and I applied to 25 plus different schools and I didn't really hear back from them. And I, and I came to the table with a boost GPA and I think a great MCAT score and I still really only got four interviews. Why do you think that is? Um, that's a good question. I... I, I'd like to think that I'm a decent human being and that um, I, I was attractive on some level, but maybe it was that I just didn't have a track record of demonstrated interest of working towards medical school like a lot of other students do. Um, maybe there was something about how I presented myself on the interview trail. I mean, Dr. Gray, this, you doing these mock interviews with students and discovering and really harping on, well, why do you want to go to medical school and actually communicating that, you know, I, I like science and I want to help people. Not a bad answer, but not different. <laughs> no, that that is a bad else. answer. <laughs> for, for these purposes, it's a bad answer. Well, well, fundamentally, those things are good. Fundamentally, those are good, but okay. not for a medical school interview answer. Then, then we are completely in agreement. Those <laughs> ideas are wonderful ideals to have in mind. Yes. But your motivations to go to medical school and how you communicate them are very, very important. And maybe I just didn't, didn't articulate that very well. But I mean... Yeah, I don't know. Who helped you write your personal statement? To uh, obviously, the the personal statement is is your initial presentation to the schools to say, "Hey, interview me, interview me." And yeah. twenty one of those schools said, mm, "No thanks." Mm, see ya. Um, so it was my dad and my roommate at the time, um, John Hess. If you're out there listening, thank you. He's a <laughs> uh, systems engineer, great dude. My dad, um, awesome guy. Yeah. Um, both both people very willing to dedicate time and giving me honest feedback. Um, and I thought my my personal statement was okay. But, you know, I, I didn't get the response that I thought I might. Okay. Well, maybe I'll have you send it to me and we'll put it in my, my new personal statement book once it's done. Oh, oh. interesting. Okay. <laughs> uh, and, not and, and, and I'll critique it. <laughs> Be open to the uh, critique. All right. So, uh, obviously, you got into school. Uh, what's, what's interesting on this path, and I, I think it probably leads to your current trouble of not truly understanding where you want to go next, is I think your, your, uh, your own critique of what happened is you didn't have a lot of that clinical experience of, of being around patients and being in the hospitals. You were out playing hockey, which is what you loved doing. And so I think because you had less exposure, less experience, you didn't start formulating these thoughts in your mind about what specialties you may or may not like. And, and so then you start medical school. You obviously go through your, your non-clinical years, your coursework stuff, and then you hit your clinical years. What happened during your clinical years that... Uh, led you to still not understand what you wanted to do did you really did you love everything that you were doing or did you hate everything that you were doing 
Uh, more of the former. I, I was interested in a lot of different things. And one of the common ways to help you decide what specialty you want to go into that people will suggest is, well, you know, start eliminating, start eliminating. And I, mm -hmm. I had trouble eliminating. Um, and yes, not having a lot of clinical exposure before medical school definitely could have contributed. Um, just like you had an experience with an orthopedic surgeon saving your life, help giving you back your function. I had a similar experience with hockey in that I dislocated my shoulder a bunch. And even though there looked like there was nothing wrong with it, we would just keep on dislocating and I, I couldn't play hockey with a dislocated shoulder. Orthopedic surgeon comes along. This is when I was, I don't know, 15 or so, tightens everything up. All of a sudden I can play again. So actually going into this process, an early life experience, although I didn't see it as sort of like a light bulb moment to go into medicine, was orthopedic surgery. That seems cool. Um, I know the direct impact that an orthopedic surgeon can have on a patient's life. I think orthopedic surgeons hang out with athletes. I'm an athlete. Um, that seems cool. Mm -hmm. So I did have that going in. Um, but getting to third year, I think, I, again, I had the former problem. I liked a lot of things, and I had trouble eliminating um, the majority of them. And then all of a sudden, I was being asked to schedule an AI, and I just wasn't ready to do that. Yeah. Okay. What do you think, what, what questions could you have been asking yourself back when you were doing your clinical rotations that, that maybe would have helped you cross things off easier? Um, I, I wouldn't start during the clinical years. The question I would have been asking myself would have been first year. Why aren't you starting to explore now? Yeah. And what, so, so first year, obviously classes are dominating life and tests this are dominating problem. life. Yeah. It's part this of the problem. Part of the problem. How, how do you, how do you balance that? What, where can you go to ask those questions if you're busy studying all the time? That's a great question. Um, I, I don't know the answer to that. Uh, but I'll tell you what the alternative is. You get halfway through your third year and you realize that there are a bunch of things that you haven't explored yet. So I would say that the answer is once a week, you know, once a month, reach out to somebody and start this exploration process, even if it hurts. And believe me, I know. I, I argue to myself all the time, well, it's a good thing you're studying, Ian. You know, step one is, <laughs> you know, 20 months away. Uh, you, it's okay to be studying now. And and in fact, that's not, not true. Many people, given the time that they have only studying during the first two years, get to their third year, realize what they want to do, and they do just fine. I would say that there is a, a large minority, maybe 25%, maybe even just under 50%, where they, they're kind of like, oh my God, I'm lost. Um, so how do you balance it? I don't know, but I think you have more time than you realize in the first two years to explore. Um, one other problem I'll throw out is a lack of mentorship. And mm -hmm. it's not because there aren't enough people to do it. It's just that these mentor-mentee relationships are often hard to, to form. They, they're an investment, and so they often don't happen. And so having someone like you, Dr. Gray, being like poking you in the side, hey, hey, why don't you just go out you know, half a day or a, even half a morning, not even half a day, like go check out the OR. Um, go check out the clinic with this patient or with this physician. Go out into the community, see that setting. Um, if you want to do international work, a little harder to do, probably expensive, but yeah, go explore that too. Private practice, find one. Academics, find it. Public institution, find it. 
and and this plants seeds. When you see it, when you feel it, when you hear it, hopefully when not taste it, it makes mm-hmm. it visceral. You have a better understanding of the talking points of what specialties are and what they'll mean about your future career and what your life will look like. It, it, it's, it just makes things real versus reading it off a book. I was recently asked a question last night, actually, as we were recording, as we're recording this now, I was speaking to a pre-med club, and one of the questions was, is it better to shadow one physician for a long time or try to get a diverse experience of shadowing? And what you're saying is get a diverse experience. And, and we've kind of been talking about med- medical students, but this can start as soon as you know that you might be interested in being a physician. So in high school, in, in college, as an undergrad, you should be doing these. Uh, I don't disagree. And I'm actually saying both things. I'm saying stick with one physician and get a diverse experience. Because if you stick with one physician, chances are you'll form that mentor-mentee relationship, which can be so powerful. It can be such a good force for the better. When somebody knows you and knows how to lean on you to help you make decisions, oh my gosh. I mean, that that can that's night and day in terms of helping you spend your time wisely. The other part of it is that you just need to gather data, which means you need to get out there and see a, a variety of different things to start, you know, formulating your own talking points about what's important to you. And one physician can't necessarily give that to you. Yeah. Awesome. And I had that experience the the first time I applied to medical school, didn't get in, realized that I was missing some shadowing experience. And I found a mentor in an orthopedic surgeon who I shadowed two to three times a week for six plus months and built a great relationship. And, and I, I, I credit myself getting into school from his letter of recommendation. Obviously letters of recommendation aren't that powerful, but I really think he made a big, um, a big dent in my application, which is great. And, and talk about getting excited about medicine. I mean, when you hang out with a physician, you get to see that contribution we were talking about. You get to see where you're going. Um, I gosh, I just I, I worked pretty hard. I'll, I'll give myself a pat on the back, but understanding where you're headed from the beginning just opens up whole reservoirs of motivation to keep going. So when you did that experience, when you shadowed two and three times a week for six months, you really got to know that physician really well. And I'm sure you got to see the effect that you'd be having if you only stick with your training. I mean, this is a slight tangent from what we were talking about, but I mean, the benefits of getting out there, getting to know somebody, finding a mentor, and then just clinical exposure to as much as you can only helps, and you need to start early. Definitely. So at some point on your journey of trying to figure out what you want, you started your podcast. Mm-hmm. Talk about your podcast and the thought process behind starting it. <laughs> so first of all, I love podcasts. Um, <laughs> Obviously, I'm making one, but it's really that I love audio, and so audiobooks are included in that. And I think I've been listening to podcasts before 2013, but 2013, fall of 2013, I guess summer, whenever I got to Case Western, and medical school started swallowing my life, and I was doing nothing but medicine and starting to feel very unidimensional, I turned to podcasts as a way to get an infusion of something that wasn't medicine. And I loved that. And the reason I was able to do it consistently with audio versus video or, say, reading is that you can be listening while doing something else. So listening is a secondary activity, Um, washing the dishes or eating breakfast in the morning, walking to class, driving to the clinic, and then doing the dishes when you get home. 
I could be listening to audio. And if you train your ear to listen on, you know, playback speed of 2x or somewhere around there, you can get through a lot of audio quickly. And so I just found myself ripping through audiobooks and different podcasts. So the utility of audio is something that I loved. And then podcasts um, are awesome because they are targeted information on what you want to learn about. It's on demand. You can listen whenever you want. And for the most part, they're free. So I was having this problem of not knowing what specialty I wanted to go into. I knew it was not a problem that was, you know, only I was having. Um, and then I saw podcasts as a way to be able to solve my own problem and also help others in the process by recording the conversations. Um, so that that's where it started. Okay. Talk about your the thought process behind the the guests that you bring on and the questions that you ask. Because your podcast is very similar to to mine, specialty stories, but mm -hmm. still very different. Right. Um, who I bring on is an easy one. You know, referrals from past guests. It's very difficult to cold call physicians and convince them to do a two-hour interview. So I need an in. Um, although that's changing a little bit now that the podcast is a, a little more popular and I can kind of point to it and people are like, oh, okay, maybe I'll do an interview. The questions that I ask, I think I sent out a survey to my third and fourth year classmates at the time, and I, I asked them, if you could sit with a physician and ask them anything, what would you ask? And I got back hundreds of responses, and I sort of categorized them into you know, matching areas as I, as I could determine, and I found that they fell into three categories, uh, generally. One was basically, tell me objective information about your specialty. Second category of question was, now tell me how you determined that specialty was right for you. And that's a subjective process of what you personally find important or, or meaningful. And then the last thing is, okay, great. Irrespective of medical specialty, give me long-term career advice. What should I be thinking about you know, 10, 15 years down the road that I'm not because I'm worried about you know, step one? So that's where the questions came from. Um, but ultimately, I... <laughs> Selfishly, these questions were going to have to be something that I was interested in asking. And many of the questions I got from these, these it was a Google forum were very helpful and questions that I wanted to know. Um, so that became the framework, these three parts. And then a big part of my interview process is kind of what you're doing to me, Dr. Gray. Like, okay, you, wanna, <laughs> you like science and you want to help people. I'm going to give you a little bit of pushback. I don't know what you're talking about and that's superficial so let's dive into that and so that's actually where a big chunk of the time in my interviews comes from I, I stick very regimentedly to if that's even a word to my the structure of my interview because it helps us see deep dive into the wisdom that my guests have to offer we stick to the script until they say something that needs further explanation and then I ask a follow-up question and that's where it becomes a wonderful, you know, divergent discussion about things that we didn't even know we were going to talk about. But we still get to all the basic talking points in my sort of interview template, my flow. Awesome. Where can people find your podcast? Uh, undifferentiatedmedicalstudent.com. Um, it's on iTunes. It's also on Stitcher and Google Play. Although I think if you pick one place, please pick iTunes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what about all the Android people? <laughs> you can listen in too if you want. <laughs> um, Ian, as we wrap up here, for a 
pre-med or even a medical student who's listening to this that is struggling figuring out what they want to do with their specialty and and what they want to what they want to be when they grow up what would you say to them to to encourage them to to keep probing and exploring their options <laughs> uh to keep probing and exploring their options i'm gonna i just want to pump the uh, tires of khan academy if you're pre-med check out khan academy um and then the second piece of advice would be for medical students and pre-meds you know mentorship uh especially as a medical student i i think medical students forget that they have a very privileged status as a medical student i mean if you ask nicely and don't act like an idiot you can literally go anywhere and see anything in the hospital i mean you have earned the right to do that um, so just overcome your stupid fear of being a medical student and reach out to people and do that early. Pre-meds, you can do that too. Medical students, I feel like because we think we're at the bottom of the totem pole and that we're in the way and that we're just a nuisance, we kind of restrict ourselves and we don't help ourselves. Um, and I guess one other key would be just when you reach out to somebody, don't be a dead fish. People like interesting people. And something that's come up a lot on my podcast and something that I'm personally starting to internalize is that enthusiasm unlocks doors. If you are enthusiastic and you come to somebody with very specific questions about what you want to learn, I mean, you you have the keys to the kingdom. And then don't forget that your hospital ID badge uh, is active too. So you can literally go everywhere. <laughs> All right. There you have it, Ian, over at the Undifferentiated Medical Student Podcast. Go check out everything that he's doing at undifferentiatedmedicalstudent.com. As we're releasing this on May 3rd, 2017, the AMCAS application is now open. And the ACOMIS application will open tomorrow, again, as we release this on May 4th, 2017. So as you are opening up those applications and getting ready to fill in all your information, remember to give your personal statement one last look over Make sure there are no typos anywhere. Make sure your extracurriculars are polished up to the best that they can be before you submit everything. That's a good thing to do. The worst feeling in the world is when you click submit and then you see that typo that was staring you in the face the whole time. If you would like any help with your personal statement or your extracurriculars, I do offer some personal statement editing and extracurricular editing just shoot me an email, ryan at medicalschoolhq.net, and I will point you in the right direction on how to sign up for that. I hope this podcast helped you understand a little bit more on the path to choosing a specialty and, and maybe what you can do to avoid the trap that Ian fell into of not understanding and not knowing what he wanted to do in the end. Uh, but he is working through that, and as we are recording this, he's pretty certain where he wants to go forward from here. But I wish him the best of luck. Thank you, Ian, for taking the time to talk with me today. I do want to take a second and thank a couple people who have left ratings and reviews. We have BTOM Cutler, who says, Phenomenal. I found this while on a downslide away from the pre-med path. It helped me helped me pull myself up and see that there is a team of people around me trying to get to the same place. That is awesome. So collaboration, not competition. As I'm talking right now, I'm wearing my collaboration, not competition shirt. And the fact that 
this person found out that there is a team around him is awesome. So thank you for that review. We have another one here from Tiny Tom N, who says, convenient, quality info. Love listening to this every day. Introduces me to the to many topics I want to learn about and to many others that I didn't know I wanted to learn about. It's a great point. I, I, I love the fact you just keep an open mind. I think too many students pick and choose which ones they want to listen to, but when you listen to all of them, you go, wow, I, I didn't know I should have asked that question or, oh, I didn't even know about that thing. So you should listen to every podcast. Just saying. And <laughs> we have one more here from... AO35 says, superb preparation for every single stage in the pre-med journey. I recently found out about this these podcasts about a week ago and have been listening to it a ton since. Thank you for that reading and review. If you would like to leave one, you can do so at medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes. I hope you have a great week. I hope you catch us next week here at the Pre-Med Years and Med Ed Media.